I appreciate so, so very much Eric leading that song about our hope and what it is built upon. As we spoke about last week, there's nothing, nothing that is quite as devastating as the loss of all hope. Last Sunday morning in a sermon entitled Hope Floats, number one, we talked about the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul and the 275 crew members, the 275 people in Acts chapter 27. As we discussed that, we talked about how those people that were in charge chose to disregard the words and the wisdom of the man of God amongst them. And they chose in that situation to rely instead on their own human wisdom their own human understanding, their own human training, reasoning, and resources. And as always, that utterly failed to save them. We also saw in Acts chapter 27, when the relentless and the devastating, terrible, horrific, seemingly unending and incredible killer storm just ransacked them, punished them for days on end, they learned very quickly that all of the human skill, wisdom, training, resources, experience in the world were totally vain hope for salvation, just as those things always are and will forever be. We talked in that lesson as we read down through Acts 27 about how when the storm was howling and, and the winds were raging, they threw the cargo overboard. That which was their livelihood, that from which they would gain an income, the whole purpose that they were out there. They threw it overboard. It was worthless to them in their worst trials and storms. We saw how they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. The ship's tackle would be the spare rigging and masts and all of those things to repair the storm's damage, and, and the storm was so bad that they threw even that overboard. All hope of humanly fixing their issue was abandoned, readily abandoned, as a vain and futile hope of salvation. And although it's not mentioned in Acts chapter 27, as day led to day, led to day, led to day, I have to believe, at least in my heart, that a lot of those sailors were praying, just as the sailors in Jonah's day on that ship were probably praying to their gods, small g, praying basically to nobody because there is no other god besides our god. Still, of course, all of that was to no avail. The storm howled, it got worse, and at last we saw how the whole crew despite all of their training and, and wisdom and every effort they knew how to do, everything they'd been trained to do to save them in the time of storm. Futile. And finally, the scripture told us, the scripture tells us, as we saw last week in verses 18 through 20, when they were, quote, exceedingly tempest-tossed, unquote, they gave up all hope of being saved. All hope. All hope was lost. There was no hope. Where would we be without our hope when the storms hit us? All hope was abandoned. And then, at that point, it was that the man of God amongst them reminded those who had rejected his word up to that point 
that if they would just obey God, the God of hope would still save every last one of them. And how good God was, even though that they, they hadn't listened to what he had to say earlier, he said, I know that God has told me that, you know, if you will do this and this, he'll save all of you. <laughs> and of course, we saw just as today, how as soon as they were within sight of what they considered safety, what did they do? They reverted back to trying to save themselves once again which of course failed miserably once again. And so last week, we discussed how a life lived without the God of hope, without the hope of God, or a life lived with a false hope is no help when the storms of life really just assail and toss you all over the place. We saw that putting trust in human wisdom, experience, and worldly pursuits cannot save you when the end comes. When, when this storm comes, it cannot save you. But, but that, was, that was not the end of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. The good news, the wonderful news, the awesome news, was we saw by contrast how joyful, how invincible, how wonderful a life lived in this living and God-given hope, this certain joyful expectation, because as we've discussed at length, that's what the word hope means in the Bible when we're talking about the hope that God gives us. It's not a hope-so hope, it's a no-so hope. It is a certain, confident, concrete, joyful expectation so that no matter the storm, we can be filled with joy and peace in believing. We can abound in hope no matter the severity of the storm we're facing. It is that hope, brethren. It's that hope that strengthens us when the storms hit. It is that hope that serves to secure us. It's our steadfast anchor of the soul, as it talks about in Hebrews chapter 6, no matter the length or the strength or the width or the depth of the storm. It is this hope and the assurance that comes with it that is kind of the focus of our bulletin article this morning. I realize it's a rather lengthy article if you haven't had the opportunity to read it. Hopefully at some point this afternoon after all of us fit in those two buses, right? We're going, you'll have the opportunity to just sit and really read this bulletin article by Brother Tom Waycaster. It goes with the sermon this morning and last Sunday. However, as I concluded the sermon last Sunday morning, I said, that doesn't even detail, that's just Acts 27, that doesn't even detail so many beautiful, beautiful, encouraging, joyous texts in the Old Testament that tell us about our hope, that undergird and reinforce the hope that we who trust and obey God have, that no storm can sink. As we begin this morning, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Job, would you please? Same way I started last Sunday morning, turning to a passage in the book of Job. I'd like for you to turn this morning to Job 31. We'll get there in a moment. I want to look at some of the godly wisdom in the book of Job. The first couple that I'm just going to mention, they're not in Job 31, but the first couple of <coughs> texts that I want to just quickly mention from the book of Job talk about the devastation. They talk about the, the devastation of choosing to live a life without possessing the hope of God because of choosing not to trust and obey him. Job 11 and verse 20 says, but the eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape. Their hope, loss of life. 
Job 27, 8, for what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he may gain much if God takes away his life? And so we see what a terrible thing it is to not have that hope, but Job also tells us what an awesome thing it is in Job 31 to have that hope. In Job 31, I want to read down through verses 24 through 28. Please follow along. Job says in Job 31, 24, If I have made gold my hope, or said to fine gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much. If I have, I can say this. If I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. I want you to think about who wrote this. I want you to think about what Job had in Job chapter 1. Do you recall? He's one of the wealthiest men that, that ever was. You know, in, in Job chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us that he was blameless and upright, that he feared God and shunned evil. It talks about in Job 1, his possessions. In verse 3, he had a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the peoples of the East. Job, the Job who wrote chapter 31, or the Job who, who had made these comments, he had a lot of stuff. He had big family, he had riches, he had all this stuff. But even he says, if that's where my hope had been, that would have been wrong. If that had been where his hope had been, what would have happened when those things were gone in Job 1? We know what would have happened, right? If that's where his hope was, it would have been gone with it. That's the problem. If your hope is based on all of those earthly things, when those earthly things disappear, your hope goes right down the drain with it. It's gone, it's just like it was never there. But Job still placed his entire hope on the God of heaven to sustain him. This morning, I just want to take you through a few texts. I want to take you through a few Old Testament texts, basically in the book of Psalms, that emphasize what an awesome thing it is to have our hope in God. Because if our hope, if our concrete assurance if our look at everything, if our focus in the time of storm is, is the certain concrete hope we have in God, that is the only thing that will keep us from being sunk as well. And how beautiful it is to look at the promises of God when it comes to the hope we have. Turn with me to the book of Psalms this morning. Psalms, the 31st one to begin with. And if you're in a place this morning where you're hurting, let these words wash over you gently. Look at the promises of our God. Look at the hope we have. Psalm 31, beginning at verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful. Is that true? Is that true? Does the Lord preserve the faithful? Does he take care of his own? That's our hope, right? That's our concrete assurance. So if you are a faithful child of God this morning, look at the promise to you. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage. Now, do you suppose that was written to people that were just having a wonderful time in life and everything was going perfect? If everything's going perfect, why would you have to say that? 
because most of us are pretty good when things are going perfect. Some of us may never have experienced when everything's going perfect, but we know when things are going really good, we don't have to be told to take courage. This was written to people, or written of those struggling, I should say. Look what he says. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. I need the Lord's strength to get through life. I need it. You need it? Look what he says. He shall strengthen your heart if you put your hope in him. Is that what it says? It's the way mine reads. That's a promise from God. Oh, my hope is in God. As I talked about last Sunday morning, Psalm 33, we read some of it. We're not going to read as much of it this morning, but turn to Psalm 33 again. This is such a, a beautiful, beautiful text. Psalm 33. Let's begin with verses 16 and 17. We related this to those on the ship last week. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. What is he saying? How does that apply to us? Brethren, this is how that applies to us. Last week I said it applied to the sailors. You know, the ship was not a hope for, for safety. But what about us today? What is, what is he saying? If our hope of salvation, if our hope of rescue, if our hope of deliverance, if our hope is in those strong things or things that the world considers will, will help them and, and strengthen them in times of trial, folks, we don't have a hope. Those things are not going to deliver. There's so many things in this world that are not going to deliver. I got to talk to our young people for a moment, so if you're under 100, please listen. Young folks, as some of us here without much hair and silver hair and all of those things can attest, you may be one of the most beautiful people in the entire school system. Young ladies, young men, you may be one of the most stunningly beautiful, one of the most handsome, one of the most athletic, one of the most gifted, one of the most talented. You may be so good at whatever it is you do in school that you're looking for a full college scholarship and every reason to get one. That may be you. But that is not a hope that's going to save you. How do I know that? Because some of us who are a lot older, we're pretty good at some things. But you know what happens when you get older? All of a sudden, your body can't do the things it used to do quite the same it used to do them. Amen, church? <laughs> as, as, as you move on, you know, you get wrinkles and things change and, and you, don't, you don't look the same at, at, at 80 as you did at 20. Your body can't do the same things at 60 that you did at 15 or 20. You can't. What does the scripture say? Young ladies in particular, Proverbs 31:20. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. What does that mean? You may be stunning right now, but if you live to be 100, you ain't gonna look quite so stunning as you do now. At least not on the exterior. Now hopefully by that time, your spirit and all that you have learned from God and all that you have become, your inner beauty is gonna far surpass what it is now. But if you think at 90 you're going to look like you do at 17, you ain't. Doesn't work that way. Gentlemen, same thing's true, right guys? 
These things are passing. But that passage says, charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's where her beauty comes, and that beauty lasts. That's where her hope needs to be. As we continue, that's where young men's hope need to be, is in the Lord and not in their abilities right now because those abilities are going to wane and pass. Why do you think athletes retire in their 30s? Because they can't do what they could do when they were in college. That's why. Unless they're Tom Brady. Anyway, verse 18 of Psalm 33. Look at it. We've read verses 16 and 17. Let's finish out Psalm 33. Beautiful promise. Behold... The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. You know who God's looking at, watching every move in particular, whose eye is on them, just like it was on Job? You know who that person is? Those person whose hope is in God. Those people who want, need, know how much they need his mercy. That's who his eye is on. The text goes on to tell us, not only behold the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, but look what he does, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. What does that mean? That means that he is going to take care of those people eternally, their soul, and physically with their needs here on earth. We move on. Our, this ought to be our cry. This ought to be our clarion cry as the Church of Christ this morning, right here in this next verse. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him. Why? Because we have trusted in his holy name. That ought to be the cry of every member of this congregation this morning, of every member of the Lord's Church. Our heart will rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we, here's our hope, hope in you. You want God's mercy? You want God's strength to undergird your ship when it's fallen apart? You want God to take care of you in the storm? Hope in his love and mercy. Don't put your hope in anything else. Psalm 39, look at verses 4 through 7. And, and not only do you want that, here's how you get it. But the beautiful and positive side of that is, if you're doing that, his hope is promised to you. This is a fulfillment of promise, Psalm 39. Look at verses four through seven. Lord, make me to know my end. What is the measure of my days? that I may know how frail I am. Isn't it something, you know, you start out in your teen years and you get to be 20 something and you think you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and that's never gonna happen to me. It's funny how the decades go by and you feel a little more frail, isn't it? He says, make me understand how frail I really am. Make me understand how fragile life is. Indeed, verse five, you have made my days as handbreadths and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. Every man at his best state is nothing more than just a vapor, just a mist that appears for a little while, James says, and then it's gone. At the best, that's what life is compared to what God is in eternity. We're here for a moment. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. This is the state of man in general, but look at the beauty of verse 7. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you, Lord. I am not one of those. 
who, who busies myself in vain and puts my hope in riches and all that. My hope, Lord, what I wait for is you. And you know, we can read through all of these beautiful promises, these powerful passages where God promises aid and assistance and he's our shield and all of that. And we can read through them and, and, and we're faithful children of God and we, we come to services and we, we study our Bibles and we know that hope is there and we know it's constant, but you know what? Every last one of us is human too. Every last one of us is human. And despite all of these incredible promises of the almighty God of hope, even the most faithful, strongest, most mature children of God can sometimes still lose hope. We can. We're human. We can. Despite all that God has promised us, we can still at times lose hope. How does that happen? Happens when we take our eyes off of those promises. That's what happens. It happens when we take our eyes off of his promises by choosing to focus instead on our circumstances and our surroundings. When we choose to take our eyes off of the promises and all that God said he would give to those who hope in him, and we choose to take our eyes off of that, and we look, as Peter did when he stepped out onto the water, we look at the storm and we take our eyes off the Lord. We take our eyes off of those. We look at our surroundings, our circumstances. We look at our pain. We look at our problems. And all of a sudden, boom. We lose our hope. If you've ever struggled with that, and I assume every one of us have, I have. If you ever struggled with that, I encourage you this afternoon to go home later on, not now, after lunch and singing. Read Psalm 42 and 43 and focus on the word hope. Later on, not now. Psalm 42 and 3 and focus on the word hope. God's word is where we find the means to both focus and refocus ourselves on this certain, incredible, rock solid, joyful expectation of the God who cannot lie, the God of all hope. I want to just give you a list of verses from one psalm. You can just write them down. You can turn there if you want to. That's up to you, but I'm just going to go right through them. Psalm 119, very long psalm, very beautiful psalm, but I want you to just focus on, on the, the lines in there about hope. Listen to this. Psalm 119, verse 49 says, Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. Our hope is in the word of God. This is why Bible study is so important. This is why it's important that whenever we can, we're where the word is being proclaimed, whether it's in our Bible classes, whether it's in our worship service, if we have the opportunity to go to gospel meetings or lectureships or momentum conferences or affirming the faith or anything we can go to. Because this is where our hope comes from. Again, verse 49 of Psalm 119, remember your word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This, is, this book right here, this is like a never-ending well of hope right here, okay? And we're to drink from this well at every opportunity we got. That's what Psalm 119, 49 is talking about. It's the word that causes me to hope. It's not some feeling or some, some man-made concept. It's what I see right here that gives me hope. Moving on in Psalm 119, verse 81 says, My soul waits for your salvation. 
but I hope in your word. There it is again. That's where my hope is. That God said he would do this if I would just follow him and trust him and put my hope in him and God will do it. That's where my hope comes from. Psalm 119 verse 114. <laughs> you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Do you ever have one of those times in your life where you just want to go crawl in a hole somewhere? Don't, you don't have to just keep them down, okay? Because probably, if everybody was brutally honest, probably just about everybody's hand would go up. Those days you just want to go crawl in a hole, you want to pull a rock over the top of you and just stay there. I've had days where I've gone through at the end of the day, I've told Karen, boy, am I glad this day's over. <laughs> you know, uh, this was a total loss today. Let's just start over again in the morning. That's what he means when he says, you're my hiding place. My hiding place. God, you're my hiding I just want to, God, I just want to, I want to crawl in there like a little child in, in, in their father's arms, and I just want to be held, I just want to hide away from everything and just be caressed by you, God. I want, I want to be there. You are my hiding place. You're my shield. I need that so much, and my hope is in your word. Because in your word I find that you are my hiding place. Psalm 119, two verses later in verse 116 says, Uphold me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. That's a beautiful passage. God, if I put my hope in your word, don't let it be disappointed. Don't let me be ashamed that I said God is my hope. Don't not come through for me. And we know that God, I don't know how many negatives I can get in a sentence. I know that God doesn't not come through for people. Finally, in Psalm 119, verse 147 says, I rise before the dawning of the morning, cry for help. I hope in your word. You ever have those nights, again, keep your hands down. You ever have those nights where you just can't sleep? You can't sleep because the world's coming apart. The storm's hitting, the ship's coming apart. And you rise before the morning and you, and you pray to God and you beg God and you, you, you cry out to him. And, and that's what he's describing here. I rise before the dawning of the morning and I cry for help. He says, but you know what? Even when I do that, even when I'm going through those times, my hope is in. My confident, concrete, rock-solid expectation is in the word of God. The very last one is Psalm 119, verse 166. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. Very similar to 1 John 3, 1 through 3, that says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. John said, if that's where our hope is, is in God, then we continually purify ourselves. We do what God wants us to do. Well, that's pretty similar to what this particular psalm says. Psalm 119, verse 166, I hope for your salvation, I do your commandments. If I want to go to heaven and I want to be saved, then I need to do what God told me to do. But when I do that, what a beautiful thing it is to be a child of God. Oh, what love the Father has lavished upon us. Move with me to another psalm, would you please? Psalm 130. Psalm 130. 
People have asked me before, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. You know, like a big, deep, dark, empty hole in the ground? That's a well, right? If there's a big, deep, dark, empty hole in your soul this morning, I hope that you're filling it with the hope that we have in the beauty of these promises. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? If God were to hold all of our sins against us, who could stand before him? Nobody. But look at the beauty of verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. Am I seeing something similar here? Does everybody see this with me? All of these verses on hope have to do with what? Getting into the word of God because that's where my hope is found. How many times a week do we open God's word at home? How many times during the week do we open God's word at home? How many services of the church and Bible classes that we could be at? We can't be at all of them. Some of us couldn't be. But of those that we could be, how many times do we choose not to be? And then what do we do? Some big storm hits and we have this hopeless situation. Why do we think that is? In every one of these texts, what do we see? My hope comes from being in the Word of God. Don't wait till disaster strikes to figure out it's time to study more. Study more now and avert disaster, or at least not avert disaster, but have your hope that will sustain you through it beforehand. Look what else he says. My soul waits for the Lord, verse 8, more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who are, who are waiting for morning to, to get up and, and stop their despairing and all that. Even more than they desperately wait for morning. He said, my soul waits for the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Hope in the Lord, because with the Lord there is mercy and abundant redemption. A couple of others before we move to the New Testament briefly. Just a couple other Old Testament texts I'm going to just read to you. I want to impress these on your heart this morning, especially if you've become weak and heavy laden with the issues of life. I'm going to read you four real quick. I'm not even going to turn there. Psalm 146, verse 5. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You want to be happier in your life? Do you? Happy. That's the word that's used. I didn't make it up. It's right there. Psalm 146.5. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Our hope in God makes us happy. Verse 11 of Psalm 147. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Just like his eye is on them, the Lord takes pleasure in those. What, you ever heard it said, what do you get the present for somebody that's got everything? You know, husbands, you know what this is like this time of year, right? What do you get for somebody who's got everything, right? You don't know. What do you give to the God who can speak anything into existence? What do you do to give him pleasure? Um, Psalm 147, verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. One out of Proverbs. Proverbs 23.18. I love this. I, I love this. Proverbs 23.18. For surely there is a hereafter. 
Heaven is real. Surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Heaven is for real. The hope that you have in Christ Jesus, the hope that you have in God, is not going to be cut off. You're not going to get to the end of your life if you have hoped in God, if you put everything on the altar and you're living for Him and you're sacrificing for Him and you're listening to Him in His Word and you've got His hope and you've got His, His love and His grace and His mercy. You're not going to get to the hereafter and find out that it wasn't real. The hereafter, He says, surely there's a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Finally, Jeremiah 17, 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Is your hope the Lord this morning? Now, of course, we move into the New Testament. A couple of things here after the establishment of Christ's New Testament church. Romans 5, 1 and following is a whole other thing you can read later on. It's just brimming over. Hope is just spilling out of it. It's just, it's... You know, you, you, put your, you put your cup, you have a cup of milk, and you put the cup in the sink, and you turn the water on, and the water goes into the cup, and it just, you know, kind of, you, you leave the water running, what happens to the cup? It just keeps overflowing, right? Romans 5 is overflowing with hope. The book of Romans is just, it's like that, that never-ending stream from God's Word, and the hope just keeps coming out. It just overflows. We understand from the book of Romans in so many places that what God has promised, He is able to deliver. Romans 12, 12 tells us to rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation. Do you see how those go together? If we have that hope and everything that we've got is laid at God's feet and everything that we trust in is, is God and God alone and He is our hope, no matter the storm, then we can be patient in tribulation because we know the end. You know what the end of the story is? God wins. You know what the end of the storm is? If your hope is in Him, you know what the end of the storm is? God wins. Has God ever lost? Has He ever lost a battle? You think He's going to lose yours? If you do, you and I need to talk. We'll cut the sermon short for that. Understand what you have this morning if you're a child of God. Whether you realize it, whether you feel it, whether you, you, you've really focused, understand the hope you have in Christ this morning. Another text I would point us to is Colossians 1, 3 through 6. Please turn there. It is this hope realized, understood, and leaned upon, catch this, that changes entire lives and everything about them. Let me say that again. It is this hope, realized, understood, and leaned on, that changes entire lives and everything around, about, or to come out of them, according to Colossians 1, 3 through 6. Yep, it's all right there. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope. Stop right there. The reason we love each other, the reason we treat each other the way we do, the reason we forgive one another, the reason we're patient and kind with one another is why? Because of the hope that we've been given of going to heaven. That's why. We don't want to throw away our hope, right? So what do we do? We live like God wants us to live as we interact with one another. We live in a way that pleases God because of this hope. That's what it says. We've, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. My hope's not on 
earth, my hope's in heaven. It's laid up for me in heaven. It's protected by the dynamite of God, as Peter puts it when he uses that Greek word, dunami. Which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before, in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has to all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. This hope we have is bringing forth fruit. It's changing lives. Let me ask you a question. Since you have come to the point that you have become a Christian and you know that you have this hope in heaven, is that enough? Has that changed your life in any way? Sure it has. If it hasn't, boy, you need to see me again. <laughs> it changes lives. He said it's bearing fruit in, in all of these ways. And did you know, did you know, Paul wrote a little three, well, he didn't write a three-chapter book, but he wrote this epistle to Timothy that was later divided up into a little three-chapter book. And in that little epistle to Titus, it was to Titus, the Apostle Paul mentions this incredible, unbelievable, infinite, and God-given hope in every single chapter. Did you know that? Check it out. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Turn to the book of Titus. Titus 1, 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope, certain, confident, joyful, concrete expectation. Yeah, that's what it says, okay. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Notice what that hope is tied to. That hope's tied to eternal life. In hope of eternal life. Our hope is tied to our eternal life. Chapter two, he mentions it again. Verses 11 through 14 of Titus, where he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation, he keeps tying our hope to salvation, go figure, right? Has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for, here it comes, the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. What's that hope tied to here? The appearing of Jesus. And finally notice in chapter three, verses four through seven, we see that hope again. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the certain, confident, joyful, concrete expectation, or he just shortens it up to hope, according to, the, uh, according to the hope of eternal life. And two out of three of those times that the word hope appears in Titus's, in the epistle to Titus, they're tied to our eternal life. Why? Why these two sermons, Hope Floats, one and two, these past couple of Sundays? 
Why? Well, there's a number of reasons, but one of them. There's a lot of raging seas that are encircling some of the saints today. Just the same as there always is in our storm-tossed and fallen world. There are health problems. There are personal problems. There are relationship problems. There are family problems. There are maybe even church and other problems. They're causing a lot of grief and heartache and, and perhaps, perhaps, just maybe, at times, even some sense or sort of hopelessness. Hopelessness. Frustration. Futility, despair for the saints of God. And God doesn't want it that way. God knows we're weak and he knows we're failing. He knows we go through those things. But God in his word has put us in so much if we'll just rest our hope fully on him. God doesn't want us to lose hope no matter the size of the storm. God wants us to take courage. He wants to be our hiding place. He wants to be our shield. He wants us to hope in his mercy and, and those who do, he'll keep his eye on them. God takes pleasure from them. God doesn't want you hopeless. He's done everything in his power, in his word, to try to take that hopelessness away. Sadly, there may also be a saint or two that is still pursuing their hope in other things, maybe in accumulation of things, maybe in the pursuits of this world, maybe they've got something going on in their life that they put a lot more into than they do God, thinking somehow that's where their hope and their joy is. Listen, your hope and your joy and your comfort, if you want it to last, has got to be in Jesus Christ the Lord and promises of God, period. Period. Big period, like capital P, period. Maybe there's some here this morning who put their hope in other things, empty earthly pursuits which can neither save nor com comfort when the real storms hit, the biggies. And if you're one of those saints who's done that, and you've kind of taken your eyes off the Lord, and you've kind of put your hope in other things, you're looking at other things to bring you pleasure or joy or comfort or satisfaction, you are going to be totally unprepared, totally overwhelmed, and without a hope or a prayer if that's where your hope is. Unless you start listening to God and throwing overboard everything else. All human attempts to please and help and strengthen or support yourselves, unless you throw all of that overboard, when that storm hits, you ain't gonna be ready for it. You ain't. In those storms, when they do come, we must not allow ourselves to drift away from the truth of God's ever-present and hope-promoting promises, because if we do, we will shipwreck our faith, just like Hymenaeus and Alexander did in 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, yes, 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. We must not drift away, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. One reason for this sermon mini-series on hope this morning is because like the Apostle Paul's desire for his beloved brethren in Ephesus, my desire for you 
is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward you and I who believe Ephesians chapter 1 verses 17 through 19. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Hebrews 3, 1, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught by God's word. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 15 and 16. Scriptures tell us in Ephesians we have one hope. That hope is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, if you have never chosen to repent of your sins, to leave behind, to throw overboard all of those earthly pursuits, to count them as nothing compared to your seeking Christ, you need to do that. You need to repent of your sins. You need to throw them overboard before it's too late and they sink you. They won't save you when the big storm hits. And you need to, believing, in Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Son of God, you need to be baptized into Christ. The only water you need to go into is the baptistry water, not, not sunk later on. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you need to rise to walk in newness of life, a life that says, you know what? My hope is in one thing, and that is the Word of God and the promises I find in it. I'm going to do everything I can to discover them, and I'm going to stand on them no matter what storm it is that strikes, and I'm going to find my joy in the Lord Jesus Christ and those promises no matter the circumstances or the surroundings. That's called living faithful unto death, by the way. This morning, if you'd be baptized into Christ or you need the prayers of the church, if you just need prayers that you will, you will hold on tighter to the hope you have, that you realize more, whatever we can do to help you. We want your life to be filled with hope when you leave this building this morning. If we can help, please come right now, right now, as we stand and as we sing.